Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. This is What Do You Know About That? A radio show about anything and everything happening in our community, our city, and our world. Here are your hosts, Eric Gershnow and Mary Angela Saavedra. Well, hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of What Do You Know About That? How's it going, Mary Angela? Hello, Eric. How are you? I'm doing just dandy. I've got oodles and oodles of things that have been showing up on my radar I'm so excited to talk about this week. Awesome. Happy almost February. (laughs) Happy almost February. Winter is upon us. Yeah, for sure. The temperature, for sure. It's cold outside. It's freezing. It's very, very, very cold. Yeah, although it's quite warm in our house here, but yeah, no, tis the season to be wearing a jacket. Well, before we get started talking about what's going on in the neighborhood, are we going to find out what has happening this day in science? This day in science, science, science. So in 2016, January 27th, Thursday, 2016, AlphaGo is first AI to defeat a champion Go player. So in a landmark event for pattern recognition software and autonomous learning algorithms, Google's artificial intelligence program, christened AlphaGo, flawlessly defeated one of the world's best Go players. So if you're not familiar, Go is an ancient Chinese game, long thought to be the ultimate test of AI reasoning, uh, and was previously the only major strategy board game that hadn't been solved by an AI. So instead of being taught the game, AlphaGo uh, was equipped with a general purpose learning algorithm. So it used that to actually teach itself how to play and how to win. what year year was that again this is 2016 so we're how how many how many decades away from when when the terminator saga actually starts (laughs) that's a little nerve-wracking they literally built an algorithm for a computer to learn well you know what's so funny is i've seen um friends who've been posting stuff a lot of it is robotics with this like human silicone skin, like a face on top mm-hmm. of it, and it's freaking people out. I'm like, okay, that's one thing, I guess, to engineer a, a machine to look human-like, but it's the thinking part that yeah. that's, <laughs> like, should be what's like. I'm okay with animatronics. Most. Animatronics yeah. don't bother me because they're being controlled by someone else. But AI, artificial intelligence, an algorithm that can make a you know machine learn yeah that weird. Well, me and out. there was an article I read. I forget whose AI this was manufactured by but there was um i think it was a university project and they had an ai that was actually creating its own language and subsequently i think they pulled the plug that's a little scary yeah yeah i don't know well who so this day in science so so perhaps uh, 2032 (laughs) will uh this day in science you know ai takes over the world (laughs) let's hope not (laughs) we'll see What's going on in the neighborhood? Well, some interesting things. I think most notably, and, and not to define tragedy as, as the um, the theme of the show, but there were carjackings that have been going on, which apparently it was kind of news to me, but this has been going on um, for the past year. And you actually enlightened me a little bit as to some, some of the... Um, potential causes behind this mass movement of carjackings, not just within Philadelphia, but across the U.S. This particular article popped up in my feed. It was about a teenager who was the actual carjacker who got shot 
shot by the person he was trying to carjack. And apparently it's teenagers. This is ex- almost exclusively teenagers that are carjacking, right? Right now. Well, yeah, that's that's the trend they're seeing. And that's what's genuinely alarming. The article that I read was talking about how um, the FBI is actually involved because it's happening in other major cities across the country. And they are finding that it's groups of people like rings, like criminal ring organizations, but they're using youth, particularly teenagers, to actually do the carjacking. And the reason behind it is what was really alarming is that youth can be prosecuted, of course, as juveniles, right? So the, the system is different. And in a lot of cases, because of the backlog of other juvenile offenders and, and other juvenile crimes, they're getting sort of downgraded. So instead of being charged with grand theft auto, they're being charged with joyriding. They took a car and went joyriding. It's very different. It has different consequences. So they're finding that the kids were basically had a lot less to lose and were like less likely to be actually incarcerated for stealing a car. So they think what's happening is is that organized criminals are equipping youth, you know, engaging them and giving them weapons to here, take a gun and go car check a car. Yeah. But the whole the whole reason behind it, you were saying, had to do with spare parts, right? Well, so there's a couple reasons why. So in some cases, it's because they want to take the car and deliver it to someone who's going to actually use that vehicle in a crime because you don't want to use your own vehicle in a crime because then you get caught. So that's reason one why cars are being taken. But what they're seeing an uptick of right now is cars being taken and sold for parts because of the supply chain problems that we're having due to the pandemic. So a lot of places are having trouble getting things they need for their business. Like, you know, if, if you're a, an auto body shop or whatever and you can't get the parts that people need, well, then your business is going to suffer. So what's happening is they're paying premium dollar for you know used cars so that they have these cars for parts which the problem with that is that it makes even the most common cars susceptible that was something i was you know found well, interesting. Yeah, more more common models of cars are more likely to be targeted correct right? right if there's more of them on the road right then and the supply chain is messed up then we need those cars to get the parts for the cars that need to be yeah that's that's unfortunate so, way of going about doing it though but yeah and the the carjacking um that you were talking about at the beginning that one i mean was very close to home here in in germantown and the the person the owner of the car was like i i didn't want to have to shoot him you know like that was i was hoping that just by brandishing the gun he'd be like okay i made a mistake and i'm backing off but but no these teenagers are equipped with weapons right yeah, yeah. so it, the article cites since the middle of January, from the beginning of January to the middle of January, there's been 91 carjackings in the city of Philadelphia, 750 uh, during the year 2021. Right. So, And we're already at 91 within two weeks of the new year. Yeah, yeah. So just, just be careful, folks, um, especially if you have a, a popular model car that you're stepping into. Well, there's a lot of things you can do. I mean, the the... There is a, a flyer that's going around. It's been posted all over Correct. social media. I saw it on Nextdoor. It gives a lot of tips. It talks about kind of, you know, the methods in which it's happening. Like, you know, be very careful about parking in a place that isn't well lit. Um, you know, be aware of your surroundings before you get out of the car. Uh, one thing that I didn't realize was a method of carjacking that I was completely unaware of that we, you know, had to talk with our son about was the bump. 
where you'll get hit from behind, not particularly hard, but enough to make you stop. So you stop to get out of your car to see the damage that was done by this bump, and then you're carjacked. So it says specifically if that happens to put on your hazards and gesture to the person who hit you to follow you and then to drive to the nearest police station or you can do a, a well-lit area, a busy area, you know, something. Um, and if, if it isn't legit, the, likely the person will not follow you. So just be mindful, drivers, when you're getting into your car. On the real estate front, you know, which is always a hot topic in the neighborhood, there was um, an agreement of sale reached for one acre site opposite of the trolley car diner. So it's the St. Martin's Coal Company office at 7600 Germantown Avenue. That has been, what, appropriated by a developer. And, you know, there have been, I guess, uh, it ended up selling for $1.8 million. Oof. Yeah, uh, and it's currently zoned for single-family housing, so any multifamily development would require a variance from the zoning board adjustment, a process which would create an opportunity for neighbors to object, but at a sale price of almost $2 million, odds are that the new owner will be seeking to construct a multifamily project. So, Well, and across the street from it is going to be multifamily, where the trolley car was. Right, so that is going to end up being a pocket, potentially uh, a pocket of congestion uh, on Germantown. Oh, Avenue. and it's already a pocket of congestion. Well, yeah, and and you've you've got Cresham. That's that 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 converges right at that intersection uh, above where the trolley car used to be. I mean, right now that's currently closed off. You can't. Um, you have to either turn left or right on Germantown Avenue. And uh, we were just driving out the the other day, and and it was backed up because a lot of people once you get past the Wawa on Germantown Avenue, and you're in downtown Mount Airy. Folks like to turn left onto Easton Road. That ends up creating a, a lot of traffic backup just because there's no left turn signal. Right. And people just like to hang out. I mean, people are st- stuck there just waiting to turn left. So it, it'll back up all the way up to Cresham. Anyhow, so that's goings on in the neighborhood. Any Anything on your radar? Yeah. So something very interesting, uh, again, to kind of be aware of. Somebody posted about... Uh, young women knocking on doors and asking to see a Pico bill. So it's t- it's that time of year where third-party suppliers mm-hmm. of energy will come by and knock on your door and ask to see your bill. They'll tell you this particular group of ladies was telling people that they were from Pico. They're not. They want to see your bill so they can say, oh, look, you're paying this and this and this. We can help you by paying less here, you know, et cetera. Um, the problem with that is mm-hmm. that if anything happens to your power, right, and you call Pico, Pico looks into your account and goes, you're no longer with us. Like if you, you know, sign with these people. Like I I remember, didn't we switch to wind power at some point? We were able to like supplement and some of our power came from wind and some of it came through Pico. Like it was still through Pico, but we got to decide yeah, you, there, where Often our... you'll have energy suppliers that will get you to switch over because you're still paying through Pico. They're just sourcing it from um, alternate Correct. You know, and that's sources. the piece yeah. that's legit. But these people actually want you to switch providers. So you're no longer with Pico. With Pico. You right. are now with this other provider. Mm-hmm. And that's what you've got to be careful of. And so they were just like, oh, hey, like heads up. They're not from Pico. Pico does not send people out to your house to look at your bill. So if anybody's asking to look at your Pico bill, hi, I'm from Pico and I want to look well, at your bill. Well, I would think if they're from Pico, they could probably look at your data 
correct in that's, their system. Right. right. That's why that's why Pico doesn't send people out. But the problem is, is that you know seniors they might not know, and even you know myself, I might not have known. You know, I, I know that now, but right. Like, and you know what? You just made me think of. We should t- do this for another episode. We should talk about scams. Oh like, yeah, that no, that's a whole a episode. T- because sure. I, I've just been hit. I mean, I'm sure you've perhaps been exposed to some training, but you know, I work at a computer-based company, and we're uh, immersed in all kinds of training. But anyway, not to distract from your sure. story. But right now in the neighborhood, people are going door to door. Watch out! If they say they're from Pico, they're not all and then the other thing that i wanted to mention um because you know i like to to talk about the the happy ones um mm-hmm. there was uh, a person i can't remember when it was i want to say it was like early december and she made a post and was like hi i'm you know new to the area i just moved here and i'm used to working remotely and now i just got a job where i'm going to need to be in the office and i don't have the money to go buy a wardrobe of clothes like I downsized my wardrobe when I moved here you know to save money and to save space in my moving van or whatever Um, and I was expecting to continue to work remotely when I got here which I was doing for a while but now I just got this new job and she was just like if anybody has any basically professional clothes and she listed her size and she was like here's where I'm at you could drop them off and she had to post again. Um, she just posted last week saying, like, thank you so much to everyone. It was overwhelming how many clothes and things she got. She's going to be very well dressed. You know, she said there were some things that she paid forward and gave to other people because there were things she couldn't use. But she was really appreciative that the neighborhood came together and helped her start this new job and have some clothing that would fit her and, and look nice. And I was like, that's really great. There's a, you know, a nice story of... Someone in the neighborhood just being like, hello, if you've got stuff you don't want anymore that you don't need, it would really help me out, you know, please do. And they did. People did. That's always nice to hear stories of the community coming together. I loved it. That's awesome. Well, before we shift gears to the main topic, I just wanted to mention really quick, too, just another thing that came into my feed recently. And uh, just to make mention of, there was the the Harriet Tubman statue. I don't know if you noticed that. uh, Harriet Tubman statue that was unveiled at City Hall, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's the Harry Tubman, The Journey of Freedom by Wolford Sculpture Studio will be on display in Philadelphia through March. So if you get a chance and you want to venture out of the house, it's something to check out. Also, something that came on my radar just this morning was the Glen Cairn Museum. And I, I don't mean to talk your ear off about it because I know we were talking about it earlier, but if you're looking for something to do, uh, like say weekend excursion, if you've never heard of the Glencairn Museum, it's out in Bryn Athen, which was historically a religious community, was built by Raymond and Mildred uh, Pitcairn uh, to house primarily their medieval collection of artifacts, and then it was appropriated by the, um, the Academy of New Church Schools, and they added their collection to it, so it's, it looks almost like a, a medieval cathedral slash castle. And they have various exhibits that cover uh, Egyptian, religious mythology, Greek, Roman, Islamic, medieval, Christian, Asian, and American uh, tribal religious artifacts. So the uh, entrance fee is pretty cheap. It looks kind of cool. It's about a 25-minute drive from where we're at in the city. So 
a friend of ours posted some pictures. It looked really, really cool. So, hey, that's something to check out. Yeah, I, I look forward to checking it out. Well, cool. Well, shall we get on to the main topic for Absolutely. today? Absolutely. What are we talking about today? Well, you know, I thought, so it's January 2022. We're essentially at the one-year mark of the Biden administration. Right now, uh, there's a lot of scrutiny on what's been promised at the top of the, the campaign and then where are we now in terms of making any movement on some of these issues? And, you know, a lot of Biden's platform was around this Build Back Better with, from what I've heard described a lot, a very uh, Roosevelt-esque kind of flair. You know, he kind of comes from that generation. He's looking to take bold steps like Roosevelt to, to pass major reform legislation. The challenge has been getting votes in Congress to push it through and actually make it law, right? That's always the challenge, but particularly has been so uh, certainly this past year. And just within the past 20 years, I think you've seen a, a difference in the, the, the way government has, has managed debate and, and these bills. And the, the big question always comes up about the filibuster, you know, you hear people talk about we need to eliminate the filibuster, modify the filibuster. But to step back from it for a moment and ask the question, what is a filibuster? So I would pose the question to you. What do you know about that, Mary Angela? Yeah, not much. Uh, what I know about a filibuster is... What do you think it is? What I've seen on the West Wing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's literally the, the extent of my filibuster knowledge. I know that it involves arguing nonstop, like, meaning, like, speaking nonstop. Like, you have to, like, like argue your case and you can't stop. Because if you stop, then... It goes to vote. And so the idea of a filibuster is to basically postpone that vote until the, the time, like there's a certain amount of time, right, to vote on something. And so the idea of a filibuster is you have the right to stand up and argue your case for as long as you want. And you can do that until that like clock to vote runs out so that then it can't get voted on. But if you stop for any reason, then they can call the vote. That's that's all I know. And the episode of West Wing I watched, he talked all night. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you're right. It's funny because there, some of the articles I came across reference that particular episode you're talking about. <laughs> well, most people would probably recognize it from the West Wing. <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, essentially you're correct. So if you go to Senate.gov, which is quite a helpful website, Senate.gov really breaks it down. And you would think, hey, that's probably the, the, the go-to uh, if you want to learn anything about a filibuster or anything related to the ongoings of Congress. But anyway, it's a you're correct. It's essentially a tool used by senators specifically to extend debate over controversial issues to delay or, as you said, prevent a vote on a bill. So it's historically been it's I guess it's like an unwritten rule, really. But senators have always been afforded the opportunity specifically for minorities. So the idea is for sensitive topics, controversial issues, that it gives a platform for the minority to really, you know, have an impact on a vote. And it wasn't really until 1917 that the Congress actually instituted some rules around this and specifically uh, what they call cloture. 
Okay, so you have someone who invokes a filibuster or, or a small group of um, a minority who invokes a filibuster and they're debating. Cloture is essentially when you get a majority, it would be two-thirds majority, so 60 senators out of 100 would be required to vote uh, collectively to say, okay, no, 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 we want to end this. We're going to end this, basically voting down to stop debate and then to force a vote, right? So in the Senate, it only requires uh, a majority, which would be 51, right? Mm -hmm. Or in the case of our current Senate, you have the presiding, uh, if you have 50-50 split, then the, the vice president who presides over the Senate would be the tiebreaker, in which case it's Kamala Harris, right? right? Now, what's interesting, though, is... Okay, so it only takes a, a, a straight majority to pass legislation, 51 votes, right? Mm -hmm. Or 50 votes plus the vice president to weigh in as a tiebreaker. However, anyone you know can take a, a, major, a minority to, say, filibuster something, then it requires a 60 majority to invoke cloture. Oh, so yeah. there's the catch. So it's a catch, right? So really, you need a 60 headcount majority to pass legislation so that's sort of the the catch now there's certain legislation that is um excluded from filibuster you can't fill like reconciliation you heard about budget reconciliation at the top of the administration when they came in so that's something they can do it's excluded from uh filibuster also cabinet appointments so if you're, you're um, appointing something to the cabinet or uh, I think it's also for voting judges, those are excluded from a filibuster. Well, can I ask a question? Please ask a question. I'll see if I can answer it. So was the, the, the right to filibuster, right, the, this right, did that, was that part of the, is that part of the Constitution? Like did that come no. in? Where did it so come from? That, it's just, I, I think something that was adopted as I guess part of proceedings within the Senate. So that's something I need to perhaps do a little bit more research on for myself to really understand how it evolved. But my understanding is it's always been there. So to, I mean, it's, it's, I'm not sure when the formal turn filibuster was adopted, but debate was, is naturally just part of uh, pushing through votes on legislation. So a bill is presented, people argue over it, and then just, just the process of pushing this arguing out like, as you say, beyond the limits to the point where it excludes the opportunity to vote. I guess that's just how it became the filibuster. Gotcha. Now, because it's, it's, it's gained this reputation, you know, over the 20th century, you've seen this being used more and more frequently. So it's interesting to note that since 1917, when cloture was invoked, so that if you have a 60 majority or greater to vote down the filibuster. Uh, since then, and, and, and between that and current times, the fi filibusters have been employed over 2,000 times. Wow. Over 2,000 times. Whoa. And half of those have been in the past 12 years. So 1,000 filibusters have been evoked. So you can in see that- In the last that, 12 years. Yes. So, so there's this increasing trend that we've seen of where it's being invoked- more often to strictly become almost like a tool to just roadblock any legislation. And what's interesting is historically, like you said, senators would get up and debate 
They would debate to prolong that vote. Nowadays, you can have what's called a silent filibuster, where if you have enough of a minority, really 41 senators or more, right? Any minority that is enough to tip that two-thirds vote to, for cloture can essentially in, just say, look, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to fold our arms on this and we're not going to budge. And it's kind of ridiculous, right? Yeah. So that's sort of where this talk of reform has been, has come out. So I, you know, and again, I'm not taking one political side versus another, but simply put, you know, when you have, I think, a governing body and their job is to pass legislation and they're not doing that, it creates a problem. So if, you know, regardless of the administration, you're trying to, in you know, employ some kind of public policy then it sort of puts the burden on other branches and and then you have executive potentially executive overreach so you have this imbalance within the government systems that could happen as a result of misuse of of the filibuster so the the other thing that that's that's talked about is this this nuclear option so i don't know if you've heard that before but the nuclear option which is basically a way to shut down that minority it's to push a vote through but by doing that some people feel that this that's not how the senate was designed you're you're threatening the minority but how do you balance this this sort of misuse of power that's essentially putting a brakes on congress um, how do you how do you modify the filibuster in order to to make government work the way it should? That's really, I think, the topic. And it's been brought up recently because, again, a lot of the initiatives that, say, Biden's trying to push through these these huge initiatives, they're they're being shot down. So uh, he had a a press conference recently and talked about actually deconstructing some of these policies, breaking them into smaller bills just to get some of them passed. Right. And that's sort of the frustrating piece from folks who voted for him. They feel like this isn't what we voted for. And then, you know, of course, you have arguments from the other side. But a lot of legislation that is a really hot topic are tied to things like voting rights. Right. You know, and that's something that I think the filibuster in particular has been has has come up because that that is fundamental to our democracy yeah, and there has to be a reason. Like, you know, if it's um it was interesting my my mother and I were talking recently and I think she mentioned that the the forefathers really did a lot of, you know, thinking and research. And she thinks it might have been um Madison who, you know, before writing working on writing the constitution, they all sort of researched other governments, right? Who had had different kinds of governments. Well, our democracy is built on, on the Greek platform. Right. Like, yeah. What, and what worked, what were the flaws of that? Why mm-hmm. did, why did it fall? Why, you know, why, what didn't work so that then we could fix that problem and not have that problem. So they built in a lot of things. Like you said, the filibuster was probably put in there because the idea is that the minority gets a chance to have a voice. Like they, you know, it's, it's no, you know, if everything were just majority rules, well, then the minority never gets heard, right? You don't get to hear that other side. So I, I do think we have a lot of, for lack of a better term, red tape in government, but it's there for a good reason. It's yeah. just, it's evolved. It was an experiment. The United States was something that didn't exist anywhere else in the world. I think the Constitution was written like two years after the revolution ended. So mm-hmm. like it took a couple years to 
get our ducks in a row to decide how we wanted to be governed. So they were trying to think of everything, but they weren't thinking about how things would change. And like you said, how like something they thought was such a good thing, and which, I mean, still is from the sounds of it. It's just being misused. It's being used in a way that it was Well, wasn't so Obama was quoted once as saying that the filibuster was a remnant of Jim Crow era. If you go back through the 20th century, and I didn't really look further back beyond that, but just within the 20th century, you know, there were you know occasions when civil rights legislation had come through, you would see the filibuster being employed. It wasn't really until the, it was in the 1964 uh, civil rights legislation where you had Robert C. Byrd, who was a Republican senator, who spoke for 14 hours and 13 minutes to, to prolong the vote. But this was a case where you actually had a huge majority, 67 senators that actually voted for cloture to actually push the Civil Rights Act through. So this was 1964. But historically, anything tied to voting rights, civil rights, a lot of that legislation would get filibustered. Blows my mind that there have been a thousand of them just in the last 12 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, it, yeah, how does anything get done in the government? So again, it may not be get rid of the filibuster, but how do we reform that kind yeah. of debate so that it's being used in a healthy, constructive way rather than to just stonewall yeah. voting on legislation? So. I agree. Wow, that's that's very interesting. I did not know about that. Well, so. there you go. Thank you. Well, and, and again, we're always interested to hear what our listeners have to say about I know it's a hot topic. I know everyone's got opinions about it. Yeah. Um, so feel free to chime in and reach out to us. Please. Yes. Our email address is what do you know, G-Town? All one word. What do you know, G-Town at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at what do you know about that? All one word. What do you know about that? And you can DM us there. You can message us there. Definitely drop your thoughts, uh, you know, and also if you've got something you you'd want to know about, please hit us up. Yeah, Tell us. We, we need are... some fuel for topics here. So yeah, we, we want to discuss we, we about to things that folks in the community want to learn about. So yeah. so we're going to take a little break here and then we're going to come back with our musical guest, Morgan Pinkstone. So please don't go anywhere. You're listening to 92.9 FM G-Town Radio. Right, it is time for our segment about who are the musicians in your neighborhood. Who are the musicians in your neighborhood? We're going to get to know some musicians in our neighborhood. Are you a musician in our neighborhood? I am very pleased to introduce and welcome uh, Morgan Pinkstone. Yay! Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Um, I would love to know a little bit about you because I literally just got turned on to you like yesterday. <laughs> um, and I'd like to know where you're from, how you got started in music, you know, little, Tell little us about something. yourself. Tell us about yourself. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, I call myself a Philly native because I've lived here probably as long as I lived in Southern New Jersey. Um, I grew up there, went to college, studied music in college, though I did not finish with a music degree. Um, yeah, I live in Grace Ferry now. I actually just moved here with my boyfriend, partner, whatever you want to call him. And uh, he's a musician too. So we're taking our time unpacking, but hopefully there will be a lot more music in the house soon. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. How long have you been making music? Um, uh, I've been making music in Philly for, for almost 12 years now. <laughs> 
Um, but you know, I, I grew up singing and probably started songwriting in my teenage years. Though I pr wouldn't admit or play any of those songs. <laughs> <laughs> I admit to writing them or, or play any of them, but yeah, uh, it's been a long time. Nice. So you came on the scene like around 12 years ago, you said, what sort of establishments were you frequenting and what sort of establishments are you frequenting now? Oh, oof, big difference, I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess when I started playing, I, I uh, actually was lucky enough to run into someone in Philly that immediately wanted to start a band. His name's Brian Blumker, and he's a bass player. He actually had been playing a lot of like hard rock bands, Lisa Christ Superstar and uh, the Dark Lords of Stonehurst and stuff. But he was really attracted to this singer-songwriter idea and wanted to try something different. So we started a band called Swedeland. And I, I guess probably because it was essentially down the street, but we started playing at the fire in Northern Liberties. Uh, you know, you start at the open mics and then you get the gigs and the M room was another place we were playing at the time. We eventually played Johnny Brenda's. We played some bigger gigs. We played a, a showcase on Penn's Landing. Uh, but yeah, we definitely started at the fire. We could, we would all say that. <laughs> what am I freaking frequenting now? Uh, not a lot of places because you know, obvious reasons. <laughs> I did. Uh, I recently played a show with my boyfriend's band at Ray's Happy Birthday Bar, which is. I, I can't say enough good things about this show. It's kind of like a dive bar in South Philadelphia, by like Cheesesteak Mecca. But I, uh, I played a set of my own stuff and I had like the most wrapped audience I've had in so long. I mean, it might have been because of the pandemic and people not getting out, but there was something, there was like a, a very um, cathartic and connected feeling I had to that audience. So I, things never cease to amaze me. So. <laughs> wow. So, so that was on December 11th, which was actually my birthday. And wow. I wanted to come down because Trevor was playing. I saw Trevor had posted, right? Yes. Yep. And he posted, Absolutely. he was playing and I was like, oh man, it's my birthday. And it's at Ray's happy birthday bar. And I felt like <laughs> I, I should have been there. It alas did not come to, to pass, but I, I feel even more like regretful now I, I wish I well, you know. man now I feel bad about telling that story but <laughs> <laughs> no, no. it must have been because it was a great night and uh, oh, yeah Trevor Bunny had a great set he actually played as a trio which is if you've never seen him you gotta I love Bunny man <laughs> I, I still call him Bunny Savage I know it's that's not what he goes by nowadays yeah, but I, you know when he first started coming at this so I'm about like I came to Philly, back to Philly in 2010 and started going back out. And that's when I ran into Trevor and he was playing with, I guess it, it was his incarnation of the Plymouth back then, but he had like a pretty large band. He had a guy on a French horn. He had a guy playing uke and it was a pretty interesting setup. And his stuff yeah. was just so just, just bizarre. So unique and fell in love with him immediately. Yeah. Yeah. He's one of a kind actually. Uh, uh, Rob is in a band that my my boyfriend and I started an X tribute band. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the band X, but mm -hmm. yeah, we, we started a little tribute band, and, and uh, uh, Rob is our you know our, our Billy Zoom. So nice. he's the, he's our our uh, gunslinging guitar player for that outfit. So oh, that's really cool. We can't wait. We we've honestly only had like two rehearsals, and it's been going on for like six months. But 
Someday this will happen. <laughs> There's no rush. You've got it in the works. It's all good. Exactly. <laughs> well, um, tell me a little bit about how you would, like, what do you call, um, I don't know, I don't want to say your style, but I hate that. Um, but like, tell me about some influences. And, and I noticed, you know, just from what I listened to last night, I hear a lot of different things in your music. And I think that's great because that's what interests me is, you know, when I'm listening to music and I, and I can, you know, each song is different and has a different feel and everything. So tell me a little bit about, you know, some of your influences or what you're trying to do, you know, with your music. What would you call sure. it? Sure. Yeah, I have a, a, like you said, it's, there's a lot of stuff there because I grew up listening to a, a, just a lot of different music. Uh, I'm very, I've always been very like investigative about music. I'll go out of my way to find something new and interesting. And uh, so the influence list is like so long. I knew this question was going to come up and in the past I've been so, so terrible about answering this question, you know. But um, I'd say personally, like if I focus on women, uh, I, I, I would say like, I, I loved a lot of jazz, um, singers growing up. Like I love Sarah Vaughn. I got into like seventies uh, blues music with like Bonnie Raitt. Um, I truly, uh, love her. Joni Mitchell, Carol King's a huge influence, especially as a songwriter. Um, you know, Nina Simone, uh, uh, Mary Clayton, who actually backed up the, the Rolling Stones, but she had her own, uh, her own career as well. She was a huge influence. And then like, you know, I grew up in the nineties, Tori Amos and, and Sheryl Crow. Like there's, there's so, 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 so many, <laughs> like I could go on, but yeah, it's all over the place for real. And that's just ladies. <laughs> but and I like that. I mean, it's you know, I I feel like it it definitely spoke to me. But he really liked it as well. So I was like, that's really great that you know you're a female artist and you have appeal, you know, to everyone. And that's I think I so. so important. There's a lot of great like electric guitar on that record too. I, I got to work with a lot of very talented people. So there's a lot of rockers on on that album. I think and. You know, in that case, like the Who is a huge favorite, and you know, I love the the Stones, the band. Like it, again, I won't I won't go on continuously, but it, I could. Like we could spend the whole time talking about that. <laughs> right. Well, let's maybe switch gears a little bit and, and talk about that album because you've had this album out since 2016, right? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> and is this is this right now the only living documented? Morgan Pinkstone original tunes that are out there at the moment? Yeah, under my own name. Yeah, I wrote a lot for, for the band I was in and we did put out an album, but this is this is like my baby at this point. I have a lot of tunes in the works. I've done a few demos with a couple of people. I've been trying to teach myself how to record and <laughs> not not really my strong suit, but <laughs> but the desire to learn is is strong. So um yeah, there there will be more. <laughs> cool. Well, and you know, I've had the the opportunity to see you play out and mostly solo acoustic stuff. You do have another project that I'll highlight here, uh, the primaries, right? So uh, actually, before we get into your album, tell me a little bit about that project. The primaries um, has been a uh, a big part of my life for probably the last five years or so. It's um. Myself, the core band is myself, um, Susan Rossetti from Stargazer Lily, 
and uh, Michelle Armour, who plays in Kicking Down Doors. She was also in um, Silver Skies. She was a songwriter and, and singer in that project. Uh, her sister joins us sometimes, Angela Armour. We have Kirsten Brook, who's a singer-songwriter. She comes on board. Tara Murtha, uh, kind of celebrity Tara Murtha, joins us sometimes. And, uh, and we're always looking for auxiliary players. But uh, we're kind of like a theme concept band. Uh, primaries are for the primary colors. So each of us, each of the core group members wears a primary colored wig. I am typically in yellow. Uh, you know, Susan is blue and, and Michelle wears red. And then we have our secondaries join us in whatever color they choose. So <laughs> we, uh, we, we started the band, or, you know, it was a passion project of Susan's long before I even came aboard, sort of her brainchild that uh, the purpose of this band was, was to push us in directions where we, we, we picked up instruments we hadn't played before and just sort of learn to play together in that way. So we rotate a lot. It's a it's a, a sound person's nightmare. <laughs> it's a sound engineer's absolute nightmare. And we're always like really sweet, but you know, I we know what goes on. We know, we understand. <laughs> no, and I've had the pleasure of catching that particular uh, project actually a number of occasions. And it was, it, it's it had like a little bit of, Rock. Actually, there's there's some elements that are in your album that I could definitely hear there. Like there's some, it's like pop, a little pop rock. There's some acoustic pieces there, but it 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 almost reminds me of like I don't know, like Josie the Pussycats or something of that era. And to I guess talk about your album a little bit here. Um, and you, I got a cough. I'm sorry. Okay. <coughs> okay. Go ahead. Right. But. Uh, talking about your album now, like you mentioned some of your influences and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. All that is captured <laughs> in that album. And um, when you look you. at, yeah, in your description that you have actually on Bandcamp, you, I think you use the term Neo Soul and then you also reference, like you say, like 60s pop, which actually there's one tune of yours and I'm trying to remember, it was the one before, uh, here, hold on. I have it right here on my iTunes. <laughs> It's like a dog. That tune, that tune actually like whoa, that caught my ear because it actually reminded me more like fifties almost, like yeah. like fifties rock. Whole, yeah, and, yeah. There's a lot of great um, trebly guitars in that in that tune as well. Jason mm -hmm. John and Brad Hinton are both featured on that track, and yeah, they. They blew it up, blew it out of the, the water for sure. Now, and you've been playing with with Jason on guitar for some other projects, yeah. Um, you know what, Jason is like after I did Swimmer, it was kind of like if I'm gonna play these songs out, I kind I want Jason to be there because he he his his guitar playing became so much a part of the sound of this record. Um, that yeah, we we would do we do a lot of duo sets together. Or he, I, I kind of started a band around the album, and he would play live with me. Yeah, so I miss him. We haven't seen each other in too long, but uh, yeah, definitely gonna ch check out the Pawn Shop Roses when they when they come back to the Dawson. I hope. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. So, your album Swimmer uh, was produced by. A gentleman by the name of Andrew Lipke, who yes. for folks who don't know who Andrew Lipke is, he mm -hmm. is a singer songwriter, but he's also a composer and he is a conductor. 
He's worked with orchestras. He's played the Kennedy Center. He's Philly based. He's big name. Tell me how that relationship evolved and how did he end up coming to produce your album? So Andrew actually kind of started uh, meeting Andrew while playing at the fire and in Northern Liberties. And uh, my band Sweetland produced our record with him uh, in his home studio. So for me, when I went back in to do this, there was just not really a question in my mind. It was almost like Andrew had seen everything you know he's like your brother like you know you've seen all the all the stuff that went down so let's you know let's continue this journey and it was a journey like this album took a while to record and you know doing it myself financially like it, it took some time and he was super patient with me there was a lot of uh dinners with his wife and his kids like there was uh there there's such a warm sweet bunch of people and Andrew is so invested in your music and in helping you create what you want to create like he he's he's fantastic you Wait, heard well, yeah when you're having dinner with the family you're like part of the family <laughs> I, I I would feel that way I'm, I'm pretty sure they're happy I'm not there every week anymore but <laughs> <laughs> but uh that's how they made me feel for sure yeah that's really and, cool. yeah he plays on on um basically every almost every track on the record uh, Andrew does. He mostly plays bass, but he also plays piano and percussion. Nice. But these are all your songs, as in you wrote these songs, and then he yes. just kind of helped sort of fill in the gaps a little bit. Yes, correct. I didn't write anybody's part for them. For the most part, I did, you know, Andrew and I did sit down and, and compose a little bit of the horn sections, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, these, this, I have collaborators. They're just, I wrote the, I wrote the bones, <laughs> you know. And I got to work with some talented people. So, nice. yeah, it's great. Can I get to ask my favorite question? Go ahead and ask your favorite question. <laughs> so I always ask this question. I ask all, all of the people who come on our show about what it is they like about being a musician in the Philadelphia music scene. What is it about being a musician here that you like the most or, you know, what, what do you like? Well, it's a tough question because I haven't been a musician in a lot of other places, I guess. Sure. Um, when I moved to Philadelphia, I had, I had dropped out of music school. Uh, it took me a long time to play music again. I, I was really shell-shocked from that. I guess what I would say about the Philly music scene is like, there's always someone that wants to play music with you. There's always someone that is there, even if they've never heard a note, like if, 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 if they, they hear it in your voice, they hear the conviction or they see it on your face, like you, there's someone that wants to play music in this town with you. <laughs> like, don't be shy about it. I will never, one thing I miss the most since the pandemic is open mics. Amen. Terrible stage fright, but for some reason, open mics are completely different to me and I have always been very nurturing. And uh, I, th I, I may have stumbled into a couple like very chill open mics in, at the beginning, but um, I miss it the most. <laughs> that's that's where like you see people with, with like, they're they're trying to, hone their skill, develop their skill, get over something, tell you a story. They're trying to do so many things and it's such a brave thing. So no doubt. Yeah. yeah that seems to be the, the one thing that hasn't yet fully come back. There's a few places I've noticed that have done some open mics and those yeah. are the ones that I think have been a little relaxed about, um, you know, uh, COVID restrictions and things like that, but it's the mic sharing. It's, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I noticed a lot of musicians at the couple that we went to would bring their own mics. Like, yeah, they, you know, I, I, I guess I've thought about that, too. I, uh, I should just do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that that should just be the new way we do yeah. this. M-I-O-M. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just just the way. Well, you want to tell us a little bit about this track that you want to play today, Hawkwing. This is track number four yeah. off of your you have 11 songs on this album. So t- but tell us a little bit about this track. Why you wanted to pick this track in particular to I, highlight? I chose this track today. Uh, like I said, there are a lot of rockers on this record, lots of electric guitars. Um, but uh, recently, I mean, my whole life, I guess I've felt a deep connection with sad songs. Sad songs are the things that make you feel seen in a way that, that you know, the pop hits might not. And we've all been through so much. I thought maybe we'll just take a moment and feel our feelings. And uh, I also, you know, I, again, I'm so uh, honored to work with, with great people. So um, this track was recorded essentially in one take in the studio. Uh, the backing vocals were overdubbed, but it was myself, Andrew Lipke on piano and Daniel De Jesus on uh, cello, who's a songwriter, wonderful songwriter in his own right. And uh, yeah, I don't know. If you cry, I won't, I won't judge you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's the beauty of listening to the radio, right? Yeah, exactly. I won't know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a minute here uh, and uh, have a listen to the track is again called Hawkwing. This is off of the Swimmer album by Morgan Pinkstone. You're dangerous 
you were never here to So yeah, I, I it, it, again, you know, all those influences that you talked about. I mean, listening to your voice on this record—that's definitely. I mean, the the elements, the, all the elements are there. I think anyone who is a fan of just just good old rock music will love this album. It's okay. very straightforward. Um, there, there's no mistaking. It's it's a, like there's a, a huge chunk of it that's rock, with the exception of Hawkwing. Uh, Which to me, I mean, just to say, yes, yes, I, I, I was definitely not hearing your description of of this song and why you wanted to play it. Now I'm like, oh yes, to all of that, because <laughs> that was very much what I thought when I first heard it, and I thought, oh, this is you know a lot more emotional than I was expecting it, especially from hearing the other songs on the right. album. And Starts so out really rocking, and then right. Kind of gut punch you, right? Yeah. But but <laughs> but that's good because then that sort of you know changes your direction and it you know I particularly like albums that are a journey and I feel yeah, like that certainly was took, exactly. took you on one so yeah no I, I liked it a lot. Okay, Thank you. yeah, awesome. and, and like when you say neo soul, yeah, I and when you mentioned Bonnie Raitt, yeah, I totally heard that in your voice, no doubt. In terms of the stuff that you've been writing, say now. Uh, would you say that the stuff that has yet to be recorded, is it sort of in that same vein? Does it take a different direction? You know, how since the production of this album in 2016, has your, you know, style evolved and changed? Or are, again, are you trying to kind of stay in that same vein and keep true to that, that, that sort of core influence? I guess I would say the stuff I've been writing uh, that, you know, will be recorded soon, hopefully, is some of it hits a little more in the Americana vein, uh, a little more stripped down, I would say. There's some, like, strings, string arrangements instead of horn arrangements, if you want to, like, trade those out in a way. Uh, yeah, I would say maybe this one goes on a little more of a personal journey, but it you know, there are still some rock songs, straight ahead rock songs too. I, uh, I don't know. I guess I just, I always say like, I don't, I don't, I don't tell the muse what to do. Like she tells me what to do. So I, I I'm certain I've written a, a few more sad songs during COVID than, than maybe right before, but to be expected. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, some of it's the same. Some of it has evolved hopefully and keeps keeps evolving that's great <laughs> so what what's on the horizon for morgan pinkstone oh i really i um at this very moment i'm i'm not i'm not quite sure i'm going to puerto rico next month i'm excited about that <laughs> wow that is exciting <laughs> but yeah as far as music goes i'm still in the process of teaching myself a few things i'd love to um learn a little bit more before I start sort of shopping demos to people to record. I'm not necessarily sure. I mean, I 
I probably won't um, record a full length album again, like 11 songs, but I, I am interested in doing like a couple EPs and maybe trying out different, you know, producers and, and things like that. So yeah, I have big plans. Sort of. <laughs> That's very I should call them big hopes and 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 zero plans. There but. you go. <laughs> TBD. Yeah. That's perfectly fine. All right. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for being with us and, and talking thank with you, us. Guys. This is great. And um tell everybody again where we can pick up this album. So it uh you can your your website is just morganpinkstone.com, right? Kingstone.com and uh, there's a link right there or backslash music. It'll take you right to the album. Uh, it's available. You know, you can listen to it on Spotify, put it on your playlist or something like that. And uh, it's also on, it should be on iTunes as well. It is on iTunes. And again, for those who want to go to Bandcamp, it is on Bandcamp, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's quite easily accessible. The album again is called Swimmer by Morgan Pinkstone. Thank you again so much for stopping by. Thank you. You guys, it's been lovely.